He scopes out the present, shakes out the past, and keeps an eye out on the future. This is the Racing with Bruno podcast. Now, from Lexington, Kentucky, here's Bruno DiGiulio. Well, welcome again. I've got a great guest for us today. But before I get to him, I want to talk to you about Zoom in with Bruno. We've had two sessions already. And uh, they've all both gone over the time limit. Um, our first one went about an hour and 10 minutes. The second one went an hour and a half. We just love talking horses. And it's just myself and bringing on a, a number of subscribers and, and people that we know from our newsletters and that have requested to have a little of my time uh, to jump in. And I've really enjoyed it. And I want you to come on and Zoom with me. So write me at bdejulio at aol.com. We have one Zoom class tomorrow on Tuesday, Tuesday, 7.30. So make sure you RSVP. And if I can't get you on that one, because they fill fast, they're free, and you can be next in line for our next Zoom. So Zoom with Bruno at bdejulio at AOL.com. RSVP, look forward to hearing from you. And as I promised, we got one of the bright young stars of the game and a good friend of mine. We've met a number of years ago, and we share a love for flare pins. Jason Barkley. What's happening, pal? How are you? Good, Bruno. How's it going? Good, good. Now, you come across real mild-mannered, easygoing guy, but uh, you've, got a, you, you've got a little fire to you. I can see when you win a race, you get fired up. And I want to congratulate you. Uh, on what you've done so far. Uh, you've done a fantastic job with your horses. Tell us a little bit about you. Where did you come from, uh, your horsemanship, who did you work for and work with, and how you got here? Well, I, you know, I appreciate all that, Bruno. Um, you know, I grew up on the racetrack. I'm a fourth-generation trainer. I made it back before they probably even had trainer's licenses. Um, my family's been on the track, so, you know, I just grew up around it and then uh it's just kind of what i always wanted to do and it just kind of took off from there i went to the university of louisville uh graduated with the equine business degree there um worked for uh, numerous trainers at churchill during college just just to you know stay stay in it stay active um while i was sparingly going to class and spending most days at churchill and keeneland but um you know we we kept our hands on it, met a lot of people, made a lot of contacts. And then uh, after college, worked for Nick Zito as an assistant and then uh, went on to work for Wesley Ward and Joe Sharp as assistants uh, there and then went out on my own um, three years ago, a little over three years ago now. And we've just kind of, you know, started to spiral into um, more horses and better horses and more opportunities and just trying to make the most of them. And you've done quite well. Um, I, I, I watch you closely as um, looking to have a couple of horses with you. And uh, I was always impressed with how you knew your horses, your temperament. Um, uh, when we were down at Palmetto's, I can never tell if you had a bad day or a great day or, or what was it, whatever happened during that day. And I know this game can, can basically... Uh, drive you nuts um, on a day-in, day-out basis. How do you keep your cool? You always seem to be a real cool customer. Uh, how do you keep your cool? Uh, I don't know. I mean, my dad, he's very, very 
calm, cool, and collected. You know, he never, never got too high, never got too low, and uh, you know, you just kind of work through any of the issues, and you enjoy the uh, enjoy the positives when you have them, and uh, you know, you learn from the negatives, and and uh, you know, it just kind of carries you on, and you build off of that, and hope that you can, you know, further either your education uh, from what you may have done wrong, or uh, you know, maybe you just get to go out and have uh, have a good day because you had a you had a good day, and uh, try to make the most of it. Now you have been on your own now two years, uh, or three. three, three years, and what do you think you've learned from the first day you you were out on your own to now? Can you give us an idea of of your the way you grew into being who you are today? Um, well, I would say most. I've just learned how to manage like more of it um, than when you start. When you start as a smaller trainer, you start in the in the stalls in the barn, you know, all day dealing, you know, with with only the horses, and you kind of forget the business aspect of it. And as much as you try to like put yourself out there and market it and things of that nature, you're really you're really just making sure the horses are taken care of because they're the most important thing. And then as you grow, you can kind of branch out from that and you spend, you know, still spend a lot of time in the barns, still get in the stall, still, you know, check on your horses, but you can really start to evolve the business side of things. And um, I think just learning how to do all that while still giving every horse like the individual, you know, treatment that they need and, you know, making sure every horse has its own plan maybe the source you know needs works between races maybe the source doesn't and just learn how to juggle all of that um has really been a learning experience for me and given that we're only you know three years down the path and uh to see guys that manage the huge strings you know some of them i worked for and some of them that i didn't um you know it's really you know it's kudos to them because it's it's a lot to uh, it's a lot to handle and you got to have a good good crew around you to do so is hiring the right people probably the toughest job you have? I would say so. You know, you got to um, you got to have a good relationship with your with your crew, and not not just your assistants and your riders, but all the way down to you know your hot walkers and just everybody that works for you. Um, you know, you want you want everyone in the barn to get along because it makes the barn works more smoothly. And um, you know, guys that work for me, I mean, one of my grooms. Worked for my dad 10 years ago. Um, another guy used to be an assistant for a guy that I worked for. Um, you know, he was his assistant and now he's older. He just wants to kind of groom. So he's kind of coming in and just having that relationship with guys like that, that I know I can trust and that have been around me forever. Um, being on the backside, it really just takes some of the pressure off because you're not thinking, okay, well, did that guy do everything he was supposed to do? Like, I trust those guys with any horse um so you know you don't have to really concern yourself with the mundane thoughts of that concern while there are other concerns that's not one that you have to fret over so the more of the questions you can remove from your barn and your help situation the better off you are how many horses you have now uh 30 wow um, and 30, what yeah, would you, grown. Uh, yeah, it has. And 
you know, hopefully, you know, we can get you a few more. Um, but uh, let me ask you, having 30 horses, you don't train all of them the same, do you? No, no. Every every horse in my program is on a different different program. I mean, I mean, some of them obviously are the same, um, but it's not because they have to be. It's just it's just what they what they need. Some of them need to jog more. Some of them need more gallops. Some of them need more days off. Um, you know, every horse has its own plan, and uh, I spend a lot of time. Some people may tell you too much time uh, planning planning out what they're going to do. Uh, you know, I've got, I've got workouts. I got, I've got eight babies right now. I've got workouts planned for them over the next six weeks, kind of what their schedule will be. Um, and you just try to hit, hit your marks so you can, uh, you know, get yourself to the, where you want to be and when you want to be there. But the further you can, you can look out, um, from where they're going to be racing, the better off I think you are about succeeding on race day. So wait, so now you've got babies, and you've done well with young horses. Um, I can attest to that. Um, you've done quite well. There was a couple that that uh, you you had one break. It's maiden at Keeneland, first or second time out. Second time out, but off a six month layoff, so it's almost like a first time out. I mean, when you're talking that kind of layoff. Yeah, what was the name, uh, horse's name? I, I want to say Molly. Uh, carry, carry, carry the one, uh, Franklin Ave Equine. We actually picked her out as a yearling together. Now you have a relationship with Brian DiDonato, correct? He's uh, yes, sort of yeah, blood very Talk about that a little bit. Yeah, Brian's great. He actually just moved to Louisville. Um, him and his fiance are now Kentucky residents, and uh, you know he's trying to further his bloodstock game and uh, being here and being present, that'll definitely help him take off. And uh, we just, we work on everything. Yeah, we talk daily. Um, I know my girlfriend says we talk too much and his fiance says we talk too much, but I mean, we're on the same page <laughs> with a lot of stuff. And um, we're actually having a meeting tomorrow to go over yearling plans and what we want to do. But uh, we bought a couple two-year-olds this year. We bought a Munnings Philly. Um, at OBS, and she's actually in on Saturday at Ellis. Uh, you know, she's training, training great. I expect. And what's her name? Uh, Quick Money. Okay. And so, I, does he like her to, on Saturday? Tell us a little bit about how she's trained. Uh, she's. I mean, she's done everything we asked. Uh, Miguel Mena was on her for the first time, and he'll ride her on Saturday. Um, you know, he was on her the other day, and he, was, he said she does everything you ask her, and she does it does it quickly. You know, she worked out of the gate, and she broke fast. She moves fast. She changes leads fast. Uh, you know, she she does everything you can ask her. She went nine and four out at the sale. So, I mean, we knew she was fast. We're going five eighths on Saturday, so I think that'll play to our advantage. Where I think others in the race may be looking for a little more ground. Um, so hopefully she can just take advantage of her speed and and we can get the job done. You know, Ellis just got a purse hike, so it'd be nice to uh, pick up a little more purse money. Now, talk to me about a little bit about her breeding uh, and how you and Brian uh, came up with her at the sale. So mostly Brian is the pedigree guru in our in our couple. Uh, our couple there, you know, I, I mean, Munnings, you can't really go wrong with Munnings right now. 
And Brian, he likes to pick apart uh, the bottom side, and um, he looks for horses that are, you know, have a lot of precocious siblings or the mare was precocious. Just a lot. We look for horses that are going to be early, going to be, you know, look to be quick. And, you know, we trying to play to the North American speed is everything angle. And um, it's worked for us in the past with Terry the One and a couple others. And, you know, we've got, with Brian right now, I've got five babies. Um, one of them started the other the other four have not yet, but we just bought a constitution at Timonium and, you know, we're just kind of looking for that, that speed advantage. And, um, you know, and then I go in and I look for them and we go look at them at the sale and look at their physical and start to pick them apart. What we like, what we don't like. And, and then just try to, you know, put our heads together and get the best of both worlds. And what did you give for her? Uh, we paid a hundred for her. So you're, you're, you're stepping up your game. And, and I've always known for you to be, uh, you're not afraid. That's one thing I noticed about you, about you and, and, and how you handled your stock. You weren't afraid. You weren't afraid to let them roll. You weren't afraid to, to, take, to slow them down. Um, you handled a lot of things. When you grew up, and in, 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 your dad is Jeff Barkley, correct? Yes. Yeah, Jeff Barkley. He's trained in Indiana uh, and Churchill and uh, probably all around this area, all up and down the eastern seaboard. What was some of the things that, that your dad taught you that you crossed over onto your own program? Um, definitely the whole aspect of every horse is an individual. Um, you know, he, he likes to keep a smaller stable and keep his hands on the mall. You know, every day, whether he's grooming them or, or his, you know, his exercise rider who's his assistant is in there doing it. But they, uh, you know, there's a lot of individuality there and a lot of just old school horsemanship. Um, you know, the things you can, the subtle differences you can change, whether it's shoes or, you know, how they're getting done up, what you're doing to the legs, just different, different, really old school things that, you know, he learned as he grew up, and I've brought it along, and um, I've got a bunch of different liniments, and, uh, you know, people look at me, you know, I ordered something one day, and a tax shop told me they hadn't sold that in 10 years, um, but they could get it for me, and, you know, things of that nature, you just kind of try to pull in that I think have gotten lost um, with some generations where, you know, it's all, everything gets done up in poultice and alcohol, and you just continue down the line uh there's a lot of things you can help with just a little tlc and uh, you know you don't have to call the vet over for every little thing and you can just kind of you know bring them along and and sometimes time time can heal a lot of things um so you know just trying to bring that into the barn and and try to keep that at the forefront of my mindset um when sometimes you have an issue and, you know, maybe the horse is supposed to run in 10 days. Well, you know, that race isn't everything, you know, skip that race, give your horse a month, get them right, and then go win the race. Um, and I had to, I had to back off a filly that I actually own half of. She's a cheaper filly. I've had her for two and a half years. She's actually been in the barn longer than anything right now. And, uh, we ran her. She won at Churchill. 
there's a race back in like two and a half weeks. I ran her. She wasn't perfect. She was sound. That's why she was, but she was a little, you know, just a little light. So, you know, we're like, all right, let's, let's try her again. You know, she ran really bad. So I gave her seven weeks, you know, just kind of built her back up slowly. Worked her a couple of times, put her in at Ellis. She gets to be the nose. Um, and you just kind of learn, okay, she, and I, and I knew it, you know, from over time that she needs, she's a horse that probably needs five weeks between starts, but you know, the race was there. I got a little, got a little anxious, you know, Churchill was coming to a close and we fired her in there and she ran poorly and we paid the price. She came out of it sound and everything and, you know, no worse or where, but she's just not going to fire her best. So, you know, just trying to keep, keep that in the forefront that, you know, treat them the way they need to be treated and they'll treat you right. And when you talk about treating a horse right, you also have to treat the owners right. How do you feel you stack up as far as dealing with your owners? Uh, that's got to be part of the game that can be really tough because you're going to have a lot of different personalities, characters. Um, how do you feel you stack up as far as dealing with owners? I, I mean, I'm probably a little biased here, but I think um, I'm at the top when it comes to dealing with my clients. Uh, you know, I put a lot of time and effort into sending updates to my clients, uh, videos, emails. You know, here's here's the races we're going to run in. Here's kind of what we're targeting. And then, you know, from there, you just kind of learn. Some people, they don't even want that. They just want to know when they're going to run, and, and that's fine. And, you know, we have a little less contact there. Um, and that's what they want. You know, they, they just want to know when they're going to race. And then I have other people that they get workout videos and gallop videos and um, workout breakdowns from me uh, doing a little voiceover. And, you know, and Franklin Ave, Brian's kind of brought that into my world where he's like, hey, you know, if you do this, kind of differentiates you. And we do a lot of that with Franklin Ave horses uh, with workout videos. And we're trying to pull in see even more video with him being here. So just letting people see what's happening to their horses, letting them know ahead of time that, hey, our race is in three weeks, everything goes according to plan, we'll be there. And then also just being able to talk to them like they should be talked to in a matter of, you know, they're, they're intelligent and they can understand things like, hey, we're not going to make this race, this is why you know, we'll circle back and we'll, we'll see them in three weeks rather than, you know, tomorrow. And, and, um, I think if you treat them kind of the way, you know, treat them with respect and treat them as, you know, they do, they do pay the bills and they are their, they are their horses. Then uh, they kind of, they appreciate that. And it, it definitely strengthens the relationship. So tell me, uh, what's a day in the life for J uh, for Jason Barkley? Well, well, I get up at, you know, about 4.30. Um, training starts over here at 6. I live just down the road from Churchill. So, you know, I'm there in 10 minutes. It doesn't take me any time to get out the door. Um, you know, we get over there. We get rolling. Uh, just kind of get your morning started, you know, checking on the horses, checking on the help, make sure everything's, um, you know, at work in good working order for the day. Um, you know, start training, whether we're breezing or just a normal day, you know, we're out at the rail all morning long, um, back and forth to the barn. And then, uh, when I get home, 
it's kind of changed. Uh, uh, just over or just under a year ago, I had a daughter. So, um, you know, we come home and we play with her and get her day underway and make sure everything's going okay with her and then kind of work in your condition books and your training chart during nap time. And then, uh, you know, once the evening gets here, I kind of dive back in to uh, my condition books, maybe looking for claims, sending updates to owners, things of that nature. Um, so you're pretty much you, you're your own man. You you do all pretty much all the work as far as being and uh, contacting owners and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't I don't have a middleman right now. Um, I like to be I like to be in contact, and I'm sure sometimes when I get the phone calls at eight o'clock at night, I don't always want to answer them, but I will. Um, and you know, we'll talk about things whether it's good or bad. You know, I'm not I'm not one to shy from it. If, uh, if there's an issue with a horse or whatever, you know, you're going to, you're going to know about it when I know about it. And, uh, you know, we can make a plan together and, uh, like just going back to what I said earlier, I think that makes the relationship better. Uh, cause I'm sure as an owner, there's nothing worse than, you know, finding out that your horse had an issue two weeks ago and you just found out about it. Um, and, uh, you know, I just don't think that, I don't think that speaks well for, uh, or the trainer or as just the industry as a whole, you know, it just looks like you're trying to cover up a little too much. And I've been on the receiving end of that a few times. It's not fun. Um, especially when you are out there and you don't see your horse for 30 days, <laughs> but, uh, sure. but anyway, the, the one thing that I always, you know, the one thing that you and I always have fun with, we have this running thing that when we buy new flare pins, we send a picture to each other of our new purchase. Um, I'm a blue flare pen guy, and you are. I'm a, I'm different. It doesn't. It's it's all. Every color has its own function. Um, in the training chart, yellow yellow is a race. Red is a work. Black is a normal day. Blue is blacksmith. Um, I use pink at the <laughs> sales just because it's different. So, you know, just uh, <laughs> just try to have fun with it and keep it. But everything for me is color coded and organized, and I just it's easy for me to keep things going that way. And everybody everybody knows the colors by now, so it makes it pretty <laughs> easy. You have a lot more focus than I do. I I've tried that game. I tried to go with the red flare tip pen for Gateworks and black for everything else and didn't last and didn't last long i just couldn't i couldn't keep up with that you know being able to switch that up you're a good handicapper too we've sat at handicapping races together and uh back when in the days where you were at palmettos you're a good handicapper too can you give the fans a little bit from a trainer perspective some of the angles you look at um for me i think I can tell you more of the things I don't really follow that I think a lot of guys do is like the third off the layoff angle. I think that's an old school angle. I don't necessarily love it anymore. Like anymore people are so much about right now, right now, right now. And I mean, depending on the trainer, um, you know, if you have some of these guys that, you know, bring their horses along, I would say, yeah, that's maybe an okay angle, but so often anymore horses are more apt, I think to run good off the layoff than, two or three starts from that, that I think it's, 
it's kind of an, like I said, an older school angle for me. I don't really, I don't really look at that that much. Um, I'm just, I'm a big, I'm a big trip handicapper. Um, I'll watch replays. I've always watched a lot of replays. Um, I've always, you know, watched workouts when I could. Um, now with, you know, XBTV, I'll watch someone there. I was watching some the other day for Saratoga. Um, you know, and you see the, you know, you see the Pletcher horse that's supposed to be a freak and breaks and is a freak and, and runs as such. And then you see other things like the Cassie that actually went through the rail yesterday. You know, he worked. I didn't love the work that he had, you know, so if you were going to bet, you could have tossed him. And, uh, I mean, granted the horse was right there till it went through the rail. So maybe that wasn't the right angle, but you know, there's just so many tools anymore that you have, um, I think just go a long way. And, you know, I think you do a good job with your product and people that use it. I seem, you know, I have guys, Oh, hey, Bruno had that horse. Bruno had, you know, it's always seems that guys have, you know, there's always some, there's always info out there. And I just think there's a lot that can go into it. But as far as me handicapping, I use it a lot now more for claiming than for actually gambling. Uh, cause I don't have time to gamble anymore, which is probably better. Uh, you know, if you, if you have luck, but you always have bad luck too. Um, but from a handicapping standpoint, I try to, or from a claiming standpoint, I try to use my handicapping to find horses that are good at one thing, whether it's dirt sprints or whatever. And, um, maybe they've been kind of mismanaged and you can kind of pick them up from there and, uh, you know, take advantage of that. Um, if we, before we, we let you go, cause I know you've had a long day already. Uh, is there any, a uh, couple of horses that are, that our listeners can uh, look forward to seeing, uh, coming up soon? Uh, you know, we're, like I said, we're really excited about quick money on Saturday. Uh, I would think she'll run, she'll run well. Uh, just, hopefully we have her tuned up as she needs to be. I would say if she needed anything, maybe she needed another half mile in there, but, I'm pretty happy with where she is. And she no, got no, 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 wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. You just yeah. pulled the, oh, I wish I had one more work, right? Yeah, I know, I know. Oh, we're going to put, you just put her right in the winter circle. <laughs> yeah, I yeah, kept track of that. Any trader that said to me, oh, I think I need one more work, bingo. So, okay, so Probably. let's look at that. I hope you're right, I hope you're right. Yeah, yeah I think I'll have a big day on Saturday because I've got four in, so. Um, looking, looking for them all to run well. Um, uh, parade fields in the same day. He had a bad trip last time. Uh, wasn't really all the ride I w- was really looking for. So hopefully, I mean, I think he'll be a price and he should revert back to his winning ways. When I had him over the winter at Oakland, he was actually a horse I claimed back. Um, and then I'd say, you know, if I have another. We got a horse Olson that I claimed for 16 at Ellis, and we ran him back on the first time turf, and he won his 1x. So um, if he were to perform well, we're going to actually next time out in the 2x, we're going to fire him down to Kentucky Downs or one of the uh, three-year-old stakes. So he's kind of one that the barn's kind of excited about, and uh, you know, hopefully he can really you know take off. He's one for one on the turf. he seemed to like it the other day, so hopefully we can capitalize on that. Now, Olsen broke his maiden first time out at Fairgrounds, correct? Correct. 
and he beat a horse named, I want to say, Embellishment, or he ended up running in the Ohio Derby. It's um, uh, I think it's a Mike Stidham. Uh, yeah, Twin Creeks. I think you're right. And that horse is a really nice horse. And then the horse, all of a sudden, something happened. I, and and it just didn't run. I think it was, ran last a couple of times. And yeah. what made you decide to jump in and go get him? To me, it just looked like a horse that needed the lead and needed a certain type of ride and just needed a kind of loose rein, go out there and do his own thing. And a couple of times he ran bad. He didn't necessarily make the lead or, you know, he wasn't doing it easily on his own. He was kind of, you know, against the bit and that didn't really look happy. And then, you know, we thought he could turf uh, being by midnight loot. I kind of followed that angle and they seemed to turf really well. You know, so you have a turf sprinter, you have a, you have a fast horse that's going to run five eights to five and a half furlongs, you know, and he's going to be on the lead and that gives you a pretty distinct pace advantage. So, you know, we just opened the cap alert on that. Andy was in at a very, very valuable price of 16. So even if we were wrong, you know, we still probably weren't going to get hurt too bad because you could have run him back for 16 or 20 or even 10 if you had to. Is Parade Field the former Neil Howard horse? Yes. That was the one that was running at routes as, as a maiden and kept running into trouble. Am I right? Yeah, he... He tends to find trouble. He's kind of a hard horse to ride. So, you know, last time out, he didn't really, he didn't settle. Um, he was wanting to go, and he was trying to get himself into trouble, and he kind of did. And a couple of starts at Oakland before I claimed him, he, uh, you know, he found trouble. And then, you know, we got lucky and got him. And just kind of tried to ride him a little differently, not really put him in the race. Just kind of let him fall out the back and make one big run around the trouble and um you know it seemed to start working working for him and you know hopefully we can get that kind of trip with a small field on saturday hopefully james can kind of work out a good trip for him now when you get a horse that's a trouble that's trouble prone and we've all seen those kind of horses but also then we watch the trips and it seems like the rider is always trying to come up inside and Sometimes it's easy just to put the horses on the outside, out of the kickback, and let them make their run and try to circle the field, isn't it? Yeah, you know, I've a lot of times I've given riders the instructions of, hey, I don't, I don't necessarily care if you're four wide coming around the turn, as long as you're moving forward. Like I don't, I don't need you to save a ton of ground if you're tons the best. I'd rather you win by a neck because you went wide then lose by a length because you couldn't get out. Um, and if, and I tell them, you know, and if we get beat, it's on me. Like I told you to do it. Like, so big, you know, it is, it's, I mean, it's a big deal, but it's not the end of the world. I, at least I want a fair shot when we're coming for home. Um, and if I have a plotter or a grinder type of a horse, I'll tell him like, look, make your move at the half mile pole. I, you know, he's it's not going to get tired. And if he does, that's on me too. You know, I, I just assume us have a shot when they straighten up, then, you know, be six lengths back looking for a hole that's not going to develop. Do you have a favorite jockey Do you use? That I use? Yeah. Uh, I love using Miguel Mena. Um, my favorite jockey is John Velasquez, but I think that falls for a lot of people. 
Yeah, he's pretty pretty good. Now Miguel is a good speed rider, and he loves to put him on that rail. He loves to ride that pine. Um, do you find yourself to to uh, what, what's it like for Jason Barkley to go give instructions in the paddock? Uh, it depends on the horse. I mean, if it's a horse that they, you know, that it has one one move, then you know, I tell like you know, Severe, who's runs on Saturday, Bridgeman rides him better than anybody. Um, so he rides in. It's like, hey, you know what to do. Put him on the lead and let him roll. But I don't. I try not to give too many instructions. I mean, these guys know what they're doing. Uh, unless it's something distinct, as far as hey, the horse doesn't like to be inside or. Hey, you know, this horse is kind of a grinder, you know, get him moving early, you know, things of that nature. But I don't often say, Hey, I want to be sitting mid pack and I want you to, you know, split horses at the quarter pole and figure it out. Um, you know, I just assume them, you know, ride a race that they're comfortable with. Um, you know, unless, you know, I handicap the race and I see something, you know, me and Miguel had a horse early in the Churchill meet that, was a maiden 10, you know, there wasn't a whole lot of speed. Our Philly didn't really have any speed, but it was early in the day. And Churchill, for whatever reason, early in the day, if you can make the lead there, you're you're pretty golden um, if you have any horse at all. And uh, I said, hey, just squeeze her away from there if she breaks. And I said, there's not a whole lot of speed. Just, you know, go break their hearts and make them come catch you. And they didn't. I mean, she won. She opened up by five. I think she won by three. Uh, she was eight, nine to one that day. I mean, she. I mean, not like she was completely overmatched, but I think she was beaten twinks in the race prior to that. So you know, it's just from that aspect, it's just a handicapping thing. Like if I see something, but most of the time, I kind of I'll leave it to them as much as I can. Well, Jason, I know you want to go spend some time with your your, your young daughter, and congratulations to you and uh, Mrs. Barkley. And uh, a lot has changed since the days we used to hang out over at Palmetto's. So I will ask you one more question before I let you go. If you had your choice of color to circle this podcast, what color would you use, and what kind of flare pen color would you use? I would say it's probably a blue flare pen. Blue flare band circle. <laughs> I love it. I love it. Jason, we wish you the best of luck this Saturday. Uh, you're one of my favorite guys out there, and uh, hopefully soon we'll have something together. And uh, I'm going to try to get Brian D. Donato on next month uh, uh, on the podcast, too. He's, he's a, another uh, rising star in the game, and always want to pump you up. You're a good man. Thanks for coming on board, Jason. Thanks, man. I appreciate it. All right, buddy. See you later. Now, I've got to say, folks, I really like Jason Barkley. He's a lot of fun. And he's very mild-mannered on this podcast. But trust me, he can uh, he can fire it in, like, you know, and have fun. And uh, and I really enjoyed seeing uh, and, and him succeed. He's a good guy. And if you see him at the racetrack, if you're out there, once we can get back in, and, and spend the afternoons, say hello and tell him, hey, I heard you on Bruno's podcast. Uh, he's a really, really great guy. He's got that Clark Kent look, you know. And uh, so uh, take, a, take a good look at Jason Barkley's horses. He does a good job. He's a good young man. He's got a good head on his shoulders, and he'll do well in this game. He's another one of those young guns 
that we talk about that are going to take this game to another level. So let's move to what's happening. I mentioned at the top of the show, Zoom with me, Zoom with Bruno. We've had two Zoom meetings uh, with about six to ten people, and it's been a lot of fun. Um, I think the people have really enjoyed it. We're going to have another one on Tuesday uh, at 730. Uh, send me a note via email to be the Julio at AOL.com and tell me you want in. And if I can't get you into that one tomorrow, I'll have one over the weekend and you can jump on board for that. Let me bring my buddy in, Ron Flatter. Hey, Ron. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for, uh, for, again, sitting behind the glass and taking care of us. Um, what pleasure. was your thoughts about this weekend with Tis the Law and Art Collector and Gamine? Um, share some of your thoughts on what you saw. Well, a couple things. As you know, I'm a contrarian by nature. and No. No, I know. I know. It's, I'm, I, you know I, I'm the guy with the bad table manners, uh, so go from there. We so, tell you not to bring that boo-boozella to dinner. I know, yeah. And it, it, although I will say it's a wonderful tool to use to shoot salad. But beyond that, as far as the two races that were the derby preps, the Travers, and isn't it weird to call the Travers a prep, and the Ellis Park Derby. But the one thing I keep coming back to is that with each progressive race for Tis the Law, we hear, well, he hasn't faced anybody until the next one. And the next one was supposed to be Uncle Chuck. And we saw Uncle Chuck green as he was and just couldn't match up in the stare down. And Tis the Law put him and everyone else away. So now it's said, well, he still hasn't faced anyone because I'm saying that. And I'll say, okay, let's see what happens when he faces Art Collector. Now, at some point, you have to recognize a horse is good. And you can have them say, well, he never faced anyone. Well, maybe that's because there is no one compared with that horse. But I'm going to continue to say that no matter what optic you may use, whether it's speed ratings or speed figures or the sheets or whatever, Art Collector is going to be the next big step up. And look, if you get to the Kentucky Derby, it should be a next big step up. So I'm going to throw that out there, if only to say, if you're looking for betting value in the Kentucky Derby, you might find it elsewhere if you're going to go ahead and say, I'm not going to fall into the Tis the Law Marching and Chowder Society. Having said all that, yeah, he's still an impressive-looking horse. I'm just looking for an angle to find some betting interest, just to be contrarian. Well, betting value is only as good if you cash in a ticket. True that. But I can say this. Nobody has run to a, a second to a lot of good horses that went on to be fantastic racehorses and superstars. So anytime I hear about somebody saying, well, he didn't beat nobody, and nobody, right. nobody's run second to a lot of good horses. Right. So. Understood. Understood. So I think I put enough caveats on that. So if I'm ticking anyone off who's a tis the law fan or within the connections. Who I'm cares? Who cares? Don't worry about that. Say what you need to say. If somebody doesn't like it, well, you know they can take, they can go pound sand. Well, no, fair you know? enough. It's but like I also I want to be want to hear. I want to be fair because I am being a contrarian here. Looking, my angle here isn't to down uh, to to put any uh, aspersions on tis the law. I'm just looking for a betting angle because I don't think I'm going to find any money simply betting him. Now, if the betting angle is. 
who do I pair with Tis the Law in an exacta, or what horses do I put in in a trifecta, or how do I go horizontally depending on how the races stack up on, on Derby Day at Churchill Downs? Well, of course, yeah. And does here's one I'll ask you, Bruno. In your pick three, your pick four, your pick five on Derby Day, are you singling Tis the Law? I guess that's a better way of phrasing what ask I'm throwing me, out there. Ask me that question the night before. Okay. When I get to see the horses move and train, mm-hmm. you know, we got a month. We almost, well, you got four, three and a half weeks. Right. I'll answer that question the night before. But I think that's where I'm trying to go with this. That I'm not trying to put down Tiz the Law. I'm trying to frame him in a way as a horse player that's going to allow me to get the most out of him. And so maybe singling him, if you single him in the Derby, okay. That tells me all I need to know if you're saying that. If you're going ahead and throwing in Art Collector, you're throwing in Honor AP, or whatever, whoever you might throw in, are you doing that because you think, well, there's a chance. And if you're saying there's a chance, then I think that gives it proper context. Well, I'm one of those people that will not go out of my way to try to knock a horse so I can bet against them. I, that's not handicapped. Right. Well, that's, yeah, that's because you're not as contrarian as I am. Well, I am quite contrarian. But if I feel a horse isn't going to get beat uh, or he's going to be a really good chance to win, why should I, you know, go bet on something that has no chance to win? Mm-hmm. That's where the people with the argument about value make no sense to me. So you're going to go bet a horse at 25 to 1 just because he's 25 to 1, not because he's got a chance to win. Uh, and you know, no. No, no, but but you're taking uh, that out of context, Bruno, because I think you look for value that you think has a shot at winning. But the reason you pursue the value, yeah, but is the if you bet on a bunch of most people are talking about can't freaking win. No, but I'm talking <laughs> about what I'm talking about, and so what I'm saying is, if you have if you're betting a bunch of you know five to twos and two to ones, but you also think that there's an uh, an overlay out there at fifteen, well, aren't you better off going after the fifteen because you need a whole bunch of those four, two to ones uh, and five to fit. twos. He's got to have all. He's got to have. He's got to have. He's got to have some, some, um, handicapping sense and some things that I that I personally like into right. a horse. Thus, the I'm, overlay. I'm very very picky about what I play and how I play it, and you know, and uh, they've got to check all the boxes for me, uh, and I think I do that, you know, pretty much when I when I go through and write up the analysis. On the horses I really like, you can really tell because I've checked all the boxes. Now, um, and pe- you know how people are going to find out what we like? If uh, they sign up. Yeah, I was just going to say, by the way, thank you for the first race at Del Mar yesterday. Well, you got to thank uh, Brian Lazarica. Uh, oh, your, the, your eyes hold, The clocker Laz mm-hmm. at, uh, at, on Twitter. Uh, he does the, the California stuff, and he does a fantastic job. I got Mike Mikas, uh, my Mike uh, Saratoga Mike, that does uh, helps me with the work. So um, it's it's a team. It's a te- it's teamwork. It's a lot of teamwork, just like you and I. This is teamwork, um, and um, so people can sign up. We've got some great deals with the Triple Crown. We've got those of you that likes the credits. We got sixty five credits. You can jump on board to, um, and uh, you can catch all the pre- uh, You know, you can catch. The rest of Saratoga, Del Mar. Uh, we've got Kentucky Derby coming up. Then we got Keeneland. We got Kentucky Downs. Belmont's going to be big. So I'm very excited about it. And of course, 
you have the all inclusive that gets all the tracks for one uh, for one price. You get all the tracks, and you don't have to worry about credits. So uh, you can go to racingwithbruno.com. We've got all the information there. And Ron, as always, a pleasure. And uh, we don't forget Zoom with Bruno. Get more from Bruno by going to racingwithbruno.com. This has been the Racing with Bruno podcast.